How do we expand what Stack Overflow can do for people? How do we go beyond just questions and answers, but without actually ruining the Q&A experience, right? Because that is still a core proposition of what we do and a thing that we are very passionate about and the thing we still believe in. But, you know, times are changing. Stack Overflow has been around for, what, 13 years now, give or take. Like, it's a long time. And so trying to do better, more current, more interesting things, I think is always going to be a win for us. Build your health app on the most accurate data available. The Healthcare Locator SDK instantly connects your apps to the world's leading healthcare database. Add provider names, locations, and specialties in just hours. Visit healthcarelocator.com to download today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk about all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. And I am joined today by my colleague, Adam Lear. Hey, Adam. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good. So for people who don't know, tell them what it is you do at Stack Overflow, sort of like how, how long you've been around. I know you had a fun journey into the company. So give them a little that brief back. Give me your short bio. Sounds good. So I've been here for about nine and a half years at this point. I started as a community manager, and then I switched over to the development team. So I've been working on various incarnations of the public platform, our public Q&A on Stack Overflow and all the other Stack Exchange sites. So that's where I am. And these days, where you sit, are you an IC, a team manager? Like, a, What's your sort of like roles and responsibilities? Sure. I am currently, uh, my official title is the staff software engineer, and I'm also currently acting as a tech lead for our team. So that basically translates into working closely with our product managers, ensuring that everything we do is technically feasible, you know, makes sense. I also bring a lot of product knowledge right. to the whole thing, but technically I'm still an IC. And so does that mean you get in on like a like an early roadmap to discussion, like you said, figure it out, right? Even from like talking to the architecture team, okay, this is what we want to do. What's feasible. This is how we should, you know, design the amount of time we're doing it. And these are the deliverables. Do you get involved in that? Uh, to a point, I definitely participate in uh, preliminary planning discussions before we bring roadmaps to the rest of the team. And then the team gets mm -hmm. involved as well. All right. So let's discuss that for people who are in engineering or engineering adjacent, maybe they work in marketing or design. They have to work, you know, closely with folks on the dev side. What is our approach these days and has it changed from, you know, nine years ago or five years ago? Like when we sit down, are we using the same tools, GitHub and Jira? Are we using different tools? And, you know, ha has like sort of the approach, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it's gone from waterfall to agile to scrum to something else, or just, you know, like, even if we don't, we don't need to use like the fancy, you know, terminology, we could just talk about the practicality. What is it like today? And, and do you think it's changed significantly in the last five years? Oh, it's changed a ton. You know, back in the day we had pretty much every developer, in the kind of Q and A area, worked everybody worked on the same thing. Now we have multiple teams, people mm. working on you know different products that we have, of which public uh, is one of them. Mm. And uh, so for us, we have let's see, what do we use? Well, yeah, GitHub, Jira. That's the current state of affairs. Back in the day, it was Trello, Google Docs, lots of Google Docs still for most of our specs <laughs> and whatnot. What we do now right. is definitely more structured than it used to be. Uh, now we have, you know, a product manager or two. They really have kind of our long-term goals in mind, and they work with our senior leadership to make sure that that you know fits within the company strategy, fits within uh, the community strategy. We still work very closely with the community team as well, and get ideas from them and they get their ideas from either their own experience or from our users. Uh, so we kind of bring it all together and figure out what we want to do. And uh, 
go for it. Right. So yeah, my impression of Fog Creek and then into Stack Overflow and maybe Trello was part of this too, is that, yeah, it was a engineering, engineers founded it, uh, you know, developers, people who write code founded it. And then as you were sort of saying, like, get all the devs and we're all working on the same thing and everybody gets to input ideas and you're all working on it together. So maybe in some way that was a little bit more, I don't know, competitive, jumbled, overlapping. And now, like you said, we're broken out into different departments, product teams, you know, there's a PM who's sort of guiding it as opposed to the people who are, you know, day to day doing the code. Uh, structured and compartmentalized. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. And there's definitely some trade-offs between both approaches, right? Like back in the day, it used to be if somebody from the community team wanted to get something done, they really had to find a developer to kind of champion it and also advocate for it and be like, yes, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to go and implement mm. this thing. Now right. that the, you know, the site is a lot more mature, now we can't really do that anymore. You know, we can't just be doing mm-hmm. random things that somebody just felt like were a good <laughs> idea and then, you know, never look at, you know, right. what that actually did. And also, you know, we grew a bunch of systems over time that maybe need attention, that maybe need to be maintained and improved right. over time. So now we really look at it more like, what are our priorities? What do we actually want to accomplish? Uh, who are we building it for? Mm-hmm. What problems are we trying right. to solve? So it's definitely a lot more right. deliberate. But on the flip side, that means sometimes we have less time for things that maybe are, you know, don't fit within those priorities, but still would be good to do. I guess, you know, one of the things I wanted to chat a little bit about, you came in through the software engineering stack exchange, right? Like you were early on involved in that before Stack Overflow? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I got into the software engineering stack exchange at the time. It was called Programmers. And it mm-hmm. when the site uh, went up, it was really going to be, you know, the software side of things. So Stack Overflow is all mm. about code and programmers, software engineering was really more about practices. And mm-hmm. I was new in my career at the time. So I felt like that was a lower barrier for entry. I definitely had a lot of freshly formed opinions on uh, how to right. do things. And I went to a lot of meetups and, right. you know, all of that kind of stuff stuff. And so I got really involved there and I became a moderator. We elect uh, moderators uh, from the community or I guess the communities elect their own moderators. That's really the way to put it. Mm -hmm. And from there, yeah, that was my path back into Stack Overflow proper, where I also became a moderator. Uh, And I was a moderator for all of, I think, two months before I got hired and (laughs) had to stop doing that uh, and became a community manager. But yeah, like as you were sort of saying, and this is interesting, that was intended to be, you know, the lighter side of things, maybe a little more conversational or practice oriented. And now has it solidified as many things, I guess, on, on Stack Overflow do into like a bit more restrictive in terms of like these, you know, this is an acceptable question. This is not, or like, this is a question with an objective answer and this is not like to drive out some of the more open-ended discussion. Uh, that's kind of hard to say in mm-hmm. part because I honestly haven't really been back in like very recently. I periodically check back in, but uh, I really dropped off in participation in recent years. But the early days were definitely just a complete free for all. It was, you know, any right. question that doesn't fit on Stack Overflow, let's put it over here. Uh, one of my favorites was um, somebody came in to ask, you know, I'm a programmer and I just got this new cat. What should I name my cat? Uh, <laughs> okay. I like that. The meta, the meta we've always wanted. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just meta just meta. on an actual, yeah. you know, yeah. main Q&A site. Yeah. Right. But right. Uh, yeah, so that type of thing definitely dropped off and it really became more about things like, you know, how do I write my unit tests? How do I, what design patterns should I use like in this situation? So it's definitely still somewhat subjective, but the site still right. definitely looks at, you know, can you actually back up your opinion with something? Right. Can you, you know, describe the why? I'm seeing some stuff on here. And when I click the hot tab, the one that it, it has the most views and the most answers with an accepted answer is why are reproduction steps 
helpful for fixing software bugs, which I think is obviously you could bring some technical and objective insight to that, but also a bit open-ended, like what steps are helpful. And, you know, people will probably have a set of different processes. You know, there could be multiple answers to that question. So I like seeing that one. It's uh, issue tracking, bug report, technical support. That seems like the kind of question. And I know I'm not, you know, I'm going against the grain here. Obviously I'm a former journalist and the content director, but I love seeing questions like this. I love it when there's like a slightly more open-ended discussion and people are sharing well thought out, you know, sort of opinions and, and almost like little mini essays. That's my favorite kind of uh, question on the network. Yeah, absolutely. Mine as well. My one other favorite is really where you could have multiple, not just multiple answers, but multiple answers that maybe provide different viewpoints on the same thing. It's right. not just people adding to one giant list of things that, you know, match the question, but it could be, you know, how, how do I unit test private methods? And there's mm. a few people who I think offer ways to do that. And I think my answer was, well, you don't. That's just not a thing that you do, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because that's just, you know, that's a part of the implementation that's supposed to be kind of hidden. People who use, you know, publicly available methods of your API or interface or whatever you're providing, you should be testing that that is the behavior that works and how it's implemented. Mm -hmm. Well, that's relatively irrelevant. So you should never be in a situation where you just need to do that. That's the kind of stuff that I personally find interesting. There's another one on here. 10,000 views out of the, you know, within, I guess, the last, you know, month or so from June 16th is denormalizing a database for speed and anti-pattern. What's an anti-pattern? An anti-pattern is more or less what it sounds like. It's uh, what you shouldn't Uh do, you know? So a pattern is something good because you can repeat an anti-pattern not good because it's going to yeah, be Yeah, a pattern is usually, well. you know, something you repeat could also, depending on the situation, maybe they somebody calls it like a best practice for something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you Got find it. yourself in this situation, this is what you should be doing. And Got then it. anti-pattern is the flip side of that. If you find yourself in this situation, you attempted to do this thing, maybe don't do that. You will have a bad <laughs> okay. time. Got it. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm really interested to see what happens uh, with articles on Stack Overflow and where that goes. We just launched collectives and there's going to be two of them, one for Google Cloud. So questions uh, related to a cluster of technologies and tags there and one for Go, Golang, um, and questions of uh, a cluster of, you know, sort of tags and technologies there. But we're going to give people the opportunity, I guess, to write articles and, you know, we'll have to see how it works out between the moderators and the client and us and also, you know, what the approach is. But it's going to be interesting because at the very least, you're going to be able to organize knowledge on Stack Overflow in a new way. So something I heard a few times, and I would love to get your take on this, is like people are using their Stack Overflow for Teams instance internally. Uh, like, for example, we did a, something with Dr. Lieb, like a big French health, e-health tech provider. And they were saying, you know, the biggest, the, the most popular questions always are the ones that are like for the new joiners. How do I set up my development environment? I'm getting this error what should I do? Right. Like mm-hmm. that's always going to be the most popular because everybody who joins is going to have the same question. You're going to, you know, you're going to need to answer Absolutely. that for every new engineer you bring on. And so then they do an article. Okay. You're going to run into these 10 common errors here. They are collected and, you know, stepped out. And somebody else recently we were talking to in the podcast was saying, oh, I wanted to get, you know, react native onto my machine and new machine or new version of it. And I brought it on and I just kept getting error after error after error. I would Google each one and end up at Stack Overflow, but disparate questions, you know, spread out, not like threaded together. Oh, yeah, totally. And so like <laughs> the simplest, you know, application of an article that makes sense for Q&A is like, you're going to go through a process and there's going to be a bunch of discrete steps and each one of them could lead you to a problem. Here's an article that puts all the questions together. But I guess, you know, from your perspective, are there other things that you could think of that might be useful, like other ways that you like to use documentation that would fit kind of within our Q&A format? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, you may recall we had a actually a 
project called Documentation uh, about five years ago. Right. That was pre. I know it was. I know it was here. I know it was a yeah. little bit touchy. It came. And yeah. It, went. it was pre me, so I, I don't have all the emotional. <laughs> language, but, uh, yeah. You, you're welcome to share on the podcast. It's a good place to tell people what what was documentation. What happened? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, we're gonna need a you know yeah. a whole hour for that. But uh, okay. No, the documentation was kind of one of our attempts to bring a different content type to Stack Overflow to address kind of similar things to what you're talking about, right? So the way mm-hmm. we envisioned it, uh, we would have let's say for the C sharp tag. You'd have documentation mm-hmm. that includes things like, here's an introductory topic that really teaches you, you know, what the language is about, how to get started, what right. do you need to install, that sort of thing. And then you would have more specific topics on how to do certain things. And so we wanted to go beyond, say, just typical documentation you will find on the internet that will, say, describe mm-hmm. every like method that's available in the language. Well, that's cool, but it doesn't right. necessarily teach you how to solve specific tasks. So we kind of figured mm. that would be kind of more oriented that way. Ultimately, it didn't really work out. There's a lot of kind of reasons why. I honestly don't remember many of them at this point. It's been a while. <laughs> okay. uh, but we had some trouble kind of finding the right approach and the right niche. So right. I'm really curious to see uh, how articles can work for that. I'm actually really excited to see that come to the public platform as well. Uh, I'm hopeful yeah. that maybe maybe someday we'll see it as a more freeform kind of a thing. Maybe it's no longer just, mm. you know, has to be a part of a collective. Maybe anybody can submit articles down the road. Maybe we even move beyond right. Stack Overflow to other sites as right. well. One thing that we've seen so far that uh, some sites have done, and I think this also exists on Stack Overflow, some tags actually, like, so we have a concept of tag wikis. So a tag can have yeah. your description. What do you use it for? What is it about? And so some uh, some of them on Stack Overflow are incredibly detailed, and they do go into a lot of kind of the introductory uh, steps. Uh, I think Python right. is a good example for that. Here's yeah. you know all the uh, learning resources. Here's where you can look for other help. Yeah, no. So those are like kind of hidden. Not everybody knows about them, but they're actually really awesome. And we were doing a series just like better know a language uh, on Stack Overflow's content side and social media side taking the ones that ranked in the top, you know, five from our, our annual dev survey. And basically for the Rust run, we just was just like, here's the wiki, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we added a few little things, but we could have just said like, <laughs> here's the link to the wiki and that stuff, because I think there's always, you know, new joiners and, and new people coming into the world of software usually ends up being super popular. Like the, the, they get a ton of readership, not because necessarily they're like the most interesting or they're bringing fresh stuff, but because there's just always a growing number of people who want to learn Python, learn oh, Rust, learn Go, learn JavaScript. So yeah, those are actually really cool. Uh, for people who don't know, I'll put, I'll put a few in the show notes, but they're kind of fun. And yeah, they're a way to sort of break out break out of the mold a little bit and get that stuff on there. And that's that's personally, yeah, what I'm also really excited about. You know, like we and uh, this company Process has announced his intention to acquire us. That'll probably happen sometime in the third quarter. And they have like a big portfolio of ed tech companies. And we've actually been working with Codecademy and we just put up their live lessons that they have once a week on the blog. Oh, and it's nice. like a, all of a sudden that, you know, that goes on the right-hand rail. And it's like a chance for you to dive deeper. Like you're on Stack Overflow looking at Q&A, you say, oh, there's going to be something about, you know, creative coding. Uh, you know, like maybe I could check it out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it could be for me or like, you know, data science with Python. Like, you know, I might want to do that. So it feels like, yeah, like we are probably the biggest, you know, the biggest website, the most visited for any and all kinds of software development, but like expanding sort of the idea of what kind of content can be uh, absolutely i'm actually very excited to see what we can do with uh, some of the other companies within the uh, process portfolio for basically the exactly mm-hmm, the same mm-hmm. reason uh, that he just described right we've tried some previous uh collaborations i think our uh like developer story integrates with mm-hmm. i think 
plural site. There's a test you can take over there, and like you can put kind of your you know outcome, the score you got uh, on right, your developer right. story. That is also another one of those things that's super hidden. Nobody really uses any of that. I mean, people do, but right. it's uh, comparatively right. compared to just raw Q and A, it's a fraction of a fraction. Yeah, the 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 sort of interesting opportunity is how do you take the like raw daily traffic from the Q&A and give people at least avenues and opportunities to explore mm-hmm. stuff more in depth or create something more in depth or profile if they yeah, want. Yeah, that to. is one of the more interesting things I think we think about just on a daily basis. How do we expand what Stack Overflow can do for people? How do we go beyond just questions and answers but without actually ruining the Q&A experience, right? Because that is still a core proposition of what we do and a thing that we are very passionate about and the thing we still believe in, but you know, Times are changing. Stack Overflow has been around for, what, 13 years now, give or take. It's a long time. And so trying to do better, more current, more interesting things, I think is always going to be a win for us. How's it going on the the Stack Overflow coin? I know you you and I discussed this once. (laughs) you're, You're harboring this idea. So you earn the rep, and then you can use the rep coin to do... Well, obviously, the first thing you can do is you can put a bounty on something. So like you can give rep to... Yeah, that's that's the thing we already have. I really need this question Mm -hmm. answered. Yeah. But why don't we just stick it on to Binance and let people stake it and let the market decide what (laughs) a a rep is worth? Like, why do we have to decide? We don't need to. Uh, Let them trade it for Dogecoin or whatever they want. I mean, periodically somebody comes through uh, on our meta site and says, you know, can I like trade rep for money or can I get, you know, can I pay somebody to... uh, you know, answer my questions or whatever. And there's, right, you know, right. there's a lot of potential issues with that. There's a whole thing with, you know, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. You really don't want to mess too right. much with why people do the things that they do. Yeah. We don't want people rep farming, I guess, once once it's worth exactly, money, start, exactly. Yeah, you know, asking and answering questions. So Look, we already see that. a whole bunch of uh, voting fraud and people inflating their reputation and it actually doesn't have mm. like a, a tangible value right. attached to it, but that still happens. And I'm always a little bit curious why people do that, but uh you know, it is what it is. For their resume? Or I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think I put my Stack Overflow rep on my resume once. Right. To be fair, I mean, I've only had three jobs in development, and this is my third one. So I didn't really have a a lot of opportunity to take it for a test drive. But I see it sometimes on the resumes that we get here as well. Yeah. I'd say like 20, 25, you know, 30% of the time when I, when I looking at somebody who's, you know, an actual developer, I want to get them on the show or I read an article they like, I go to their profile somewhere and it's like, yeah, they got their Stack Overflow, their GitHub, their Twitter, their LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the most common ones I see. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's always nice to see, you know, to actually just browse somebody's answers, going to see what are they passionate about? What What is interesting to them? What kind of, uh, you know, knowledge do they have? What are they sharing? What right. makes them tick? Right. Definitely better than, you know, I don't know. I see a lot of, uh, well, when I did a lot of resume reviews, I would see people put their GitHub profile on, and then there would be actually nothing on it. So it's kind of like right. this automatic thing. I guess everybody is taught that you should have a GitHub, and you should put your profile on your resume, uh, but I think nobody actually tells people that maybe you should have a project. <laughs> okay, so awarded two days ago to Peter Cordes, how can I accurately benchmark unaligned access speed on an x86 underscore 64. How do I say x86 underscore 64? Like that, or is there some shorter way to say uh, I think x86 64, I think that's it. X, yeah, x86 64. All right, if you wanna know how to accurately benchmark those unlined access speeds, we have the answer for you and we'll put it in the show notes. Thanks to Peter for winning a lifeboat badge. It's a, somebody who got an answer score of 20 or more on a question with a score of negative three or less. They gave it an answer and got it up to a score of three or more. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I know, right? Saving saving it from the dustbin of history here. 
I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at stackoverflow.com. If you're listening and you like the show, leave a rating and a review. It really helps. Adam, who are you and where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found? Uh, I'm Adam Lear. I'm a developer and tech lead on the public platform team. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at AA Lear, but don't expect any major technical content. I mostly just retweet fun things <laughs> that I find amusing. Okay. Speaking of which, I learned today that uh, you can now download Android apps from the Amazon store and run them on your Windows PC. So have fun with that. Android apps on the new version of Windows. What could go wrong? <laughs> Do you want the whole list or just like a couple <laughs> top items? <laughs> Be 50 minutes long. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>